Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Before we get started, we want to provide a quick warning. There's been some swearing throughout this series, but this episode in particular is full of strong language. After all, it is about Rod Blagojevich. If you don't like that kind of thing, or if you're listening with children, please be warned. Growing up, what was your opinion of the FBI? If you're in politics, you never have a good opinion of the FBI. We always saw the FBI as like the people that go after Americans, you know? Ask Chicago policemen what they think of the FBI. Ask a cop. They think they're liars. Part four. Hello? Hey, Russ. Hey. The tapes. Hey, uh, you got a minute? Yeah. Um, what time are you thinking of going tonight? As far as the tapes themselves, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing with this podcast, a lot of people, they'll be hearing these tapes for the first time. So I guess to the average years, they're... What they, tapes? Well, the tapes that were presented at trial. Oh, you're putting those with the podcast? Well, that sucks if that's all you're putting and you're not getting my, our tapes on. But, I mean, that's just incredibly one-sided. How could you just do... Yeah. You know, this is part of the story. This is part of the trial. They played these tapes. They were out there. Yeah, well... Patty Blagojevich is not happy with us using the tapes. And that's because of what happened later at trial. The tapes were the major piece of evidence that got Rod convicted. And excerpts that were played had all been carefully chosen by prosecutors. Rod and his defense team argued over and over that they wanted all the tapes played. They said if they were heard in their full context, it would prove that Rod was innocent and that he was mostly focused on the best interest of Illinois. But the vast majority of those other tapes, the defense's tapes, were never played, and they're still under seal. We explained to Patty that what we want her to do for us is to give context to the tapes that were heard at trial. Like when I said, F the Cubs, you want the context of that? I'll give you that context. You know, I I would just, who are you talking to? Greenland. Tell me who about that fucking Cubs shit. Fuck them. What do you think of that, uh, Greenlee? So here's what's happening. At the time, the owner of the Cubs was looking for state assistance to renovate Wrigley Field. So Rod's a lifelong Cubs fan, right? And wants, would do anything to help the Cubs. But the Cubs owner also owned the Chicago Tribune newspaper, which had published an editorial calling for Rod's impeachment. Here's another tape from earlier that morning. Rod is talking about the editorial board at the Tribune. And our recommendation is, fire all those fucking people. Get them the fuck out of there. And get us some editorial support. And it was just like, if they're going to sit there and criticize you in their newspaper, F them. Like, don't help them. If they're just going to sit there and call for your impeachment in their newspaper, while at the same time asking you to help them with their ballpark. The day after Rod's arrest, the Tribune described Patty cursing out the Cubs owner in print. She was described as a, quote, modern-day Lady Macbeth who plotted against her husband's perceived enemies. And it's ridiculous to, you know, have that, that stuff played and, you know, and then I get a bad rap for 
you know, having candid conversations with my husband on a, a you know, what we believe is a private phone call. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Dave McKinney, and this is Public Official A. By 2008, the FBI had been looking into the Blagojevich administration for almost five years. Guilty pleas and indictments were stacking up. The people that Rod had surrounded himself with were under investigation, and they were falling like dominoes. Christopher Kelly raised millions for Governor Rod Blagojevich during election campaigns. Altogether, he faces 38 years in prison and Prosecutors more than- say Resquin Levine used their political influence to muscle bribes out of companies hoping to do business with the state. And it intensifies the scrutiny even more on Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, already under the Fed's microscope. And then, a judge officially unmasked a mysterious man. Public official A is Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Biggest domino to fall was Tony Resco, one of Blagojevich's chief fundraisers. Resco's conviction of fraud, bribery, and money laundering forced Rod to face the microphones. Thanks for coming. It's nice to see you. Um, I have a brief statement. Tony Resco is a friend and was a supporter on a personal level. The press hounded Blagojevich, asking if he himself was the target of a federal investigation. It's a ridiculous question. It's, it's, Why? It's, Why is that absurd and ridiculous? Because. You, because it's stupid. Governor Blagojevich is hemorrhaging friends. Voters were paying attention, and his poll numbers were spiraling down. Not only was Blagojevich officially the least popular governor, he was a very strong contender for the least liked politician in America. I despise corrupt politicians. Corruption here is endemic. During the Blagojevich investigations, Robert Grant was the special agent in charge of the FBI Chicago office. His supervisor was then-FBI director Robert Mueller, current special counsel on the Trump-Russia investigation. But I always liked Bob Mueller because he wasn't afraid to do any corruption investigation. He made corruption the highest priority. While the wiretaps on Blagojevich were up and running, Mueller decided to pay a visit to the Chicago office. He would joke with me that, you know, uh, indicting politicians in Chicago is like shooting fish in a barrel. And I had to remind him that a lot of hard work went into that. It's not so easy to, to do a corruption investigation. And he had some extra time, so we went up to my office. I said, would you like to hear some of the tapes? November 1st, 2008, 10.55 a.m. Hey, yeah, Blair Hull, somebody should call him. Lon just procrastinates on what the fuck he does. But somebody should ask him for 100000 Bob Mueller is an old-fashioned gentleman professional. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard him say a curse word in my life. Mueller was surprised by some of the language being used. He asked Grant, who's the guy dropping all the F-bombs? Grant told him that was the governor of Illinois. And his reaction was just shaking his head, said, only in Chicago, only in Chicago. Now, before the FBI got up in the phones... The first time they recorded Blagojevich was by bugging his campaign office. Now, the FBI was able to establish enough probable cause to actually record this meeting because they were given information by someone close to Blagojevich. Someone who was in that room. He was called, quote, 
the Judas in this drama. And that's because without him, there wouldn't have been the tapes. Uh, hi, uh, I'm John Wyma. Were you ever close to Patty at all? Yes. No, I, I, I spent a, a, a lot of time with Patty personally and Rod personally for many years. So, yes. He and his girlfriend, I mean, we socialize with them. We go out to dinner, you know. They go running together, you know, that kind of thing. Wyma had a long history with Rod. Yeah, he was his chief of staff when he was a congressman. John Wyma was also the political director during Rod's first campaign for governor. But after Rod became governor, Wyma became a lobbyist. His friend becomes governor, and then John Wyma goes on to make, you know, millions of dollars lobbying, trading off of Rod's name. I mean, do you feel like you betrayed the Blagojeviches? I, I think I did the right thing. Patty maintains that Wyma only cooperated with the feds because he was catching heat himself. So, yeah, he did the right thing for him to save his own neck. Had, had the two of you ever had that sense of betrayal from anybody before in your lives? Well, I mean, besides my dad. You know, I mean, Wyma was like, it was like a sneaky thing. I think he's among the worst of them, to be honest. For his part, Wyma says he didn't do anything wrong and he was never charged. Anyway, here's what happened. On October 8th, 2008, Wyma attended a meeting at the Blagojevich campaign office. People are going through lists of people that can potentially raise money and trying to target them for contributions. On the list was a client of Wyma's, a giant Chicago hospital for children. The hospital was trying to get more money from the state. And according to Wyma, the governor said words to the effect of, I'm going to do $8 million for them. I want you to get the CEO for $50,000. Quid? Meet quo. I told him, no. You'll leave the meeting. What are you thinking? Uh, I think um, you know, trouble of brewing. <laughs> I'm in a room where he's instructed not just me but others to go out and essentially shake down um, interests that are doing business with the state. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was wrong. And after reflection... Uh, when I met with the uh, uh, government in my interview, I told them of, um, I, I told them. You see, what Rod didn't know was that before that meeting, John Wyma had received a subpoena related to his work as a lobbyist. He had to go in and talk to the feds. They, they, they know a lot. Okay, They've been at this a very long time. So they, of course, are asking me kind of a, a, a broad range of questions and during the course of that conversation, I told them of my concerns. Did you have any sense at that point of the gravity of what you were telling them? Yes. I mean, I, I knew this would be valuable information to them. Eventually, the FBI asked Wyma to wear a wire and record his friends. He refused. It, it felt horrible, and, it, and I didn't need to do it. I hadn't done anything wrong. It's popular now, apparently, if you look at the Trump administration, everybody records everybody. But at that time, uh, it felt very uncomfortable. I'm not the type of person that's going to go record somebody. That refusal is what led the FBI to install those microphones in the campaign office. It didn't take long in the conference room microphone to lead us to the, the telephone wiretaps. FBI special agent in charge, Robert Grant. We were able to establish probable cause that he was engaging in the behavior we thought he was. That allowed us to expand our scope. And so the FBI 
began their wiretaps of Rod Blagojevich. Hey, beautiful wife. Hey. How's my beautiful wife? I'm doing fine. Hey. Hey, how are you? I got Bob here. Just the two of you? Just the two of us. Hey, I don't care what these assholes here say. I feel like I've been a great governor for people. Mm-hmm. That's fucking good. I gotta stop swearing. I gotta stop swearing. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh, very bad. Hang on a minute. We at one point had eight telephones and two microphones, so we had a number of agents listening real time. Agents Daniel Kane and Patrick Murphy were busy monitoring everything from the FBI office. We pretty much monitored seven to eleven, seven days a week, and I think tried to work that in two shifts for agents. Well, there was like an area of about three or four different rooms. It was pretty crazy down there. Hey, Lon. How are you? Good. Just got back from a haircut. Wow, you sound like you just got back from a run. <clears throat> really? Yeah, <I> <laughs> We'd be doing research on what's being said, passing that information on to the next shift of agents. Now, the FBI had started the wiretaps based on information that state action was being exchanged for campaign contributions. But then something big just happened to come up. The Senate seat we were not aware of. Anything going on in the um, Senate stuff? So it was a complete surprise to me the first time it was brought up in telephone conversations and it appeared he was going to try to monetize or capitalize on that for his personal benefit. Coming up next... The Senate seat. I mean, I've got this thing, and it's fucking golden. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is public official A, the tapes. The FBI recorded Blagojevich for almost six weeks, from late October 2008 to his arrest on December 9th. By this point, Rod's approval rating was at rock bottom, and he wasn't able to get much done as a governor. Uh, Patty, I'm going to, we've got a few more questions on these tapes. Okay, whatever. Fine. I mean, the tape that sort of sticks out is from the morning of the presidential election in 2008. And, you know, Rod is just, he sounds like he's in a bad spot. He says, I fucking busted my ass and pissed people off and gave your grandmother a free fucking ride on a bus. Oh, yeah. Okay? I gave your fucking baby a chance to have health care. I fought every one of those assholes, including every special interest out there who can make my life easier and better. Because they want to raise taxes on you, and I won't. I, I fight them and keep them doing it. And what do I get for that? Only 13% of y'all out there think I'm doing a good job. So fuck all of you. What had him in that place at that time? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'd like to think that it was Rod, like, kind of like as the spurned lover almost to the people, you know, like, what else do I have to do? I mean, I'm doing, you know, the health care and the bus rides and the, you know, all this stuff. Like, what else do you want? That was, you know, clearly, he was hurt. Are you bothered by a record low 13% approval rate? 
Um, that's, a, that's a baker's dozen, right? I consider that a lucky number. During uh, this press conference, Rod did his best to stay positive. I, I can honestly say that I love the people of Illinois more today than I did yesterday or the day before. And uh, If it's a case of unrequited love at this point, I'll just have to work extra hard and get him to love me again. Toward the end, Rod had a real problem with self-awareness. He simply didn't understand how toxic he'd become. As we mentioned earlier, part of the reason for Rod's record low approval rating was the federal corruption trial of his close associate and fundraiser, Tony Resco. Beyond Blagojevich, Resco had helped a lot of Illinois politicians, including Barack Obama. In the presidential race, Obama was leading in the polls. The Republicans were desperate for something to hit him with. Longtime Barack Obama fundraiser Tony Resco was convicted today of fraud. With friends like that, Obama is not ready to lead. I'm John McCain, and I approve this message. Obama needed to distance himself from Blagojevich and leave Illinois state politics behind for good. But there was still one last thing that tied the two public officials together. The Senate seat. As you may know, when a sitting senator becomes the president of the United States, some states, like Illinois, let the governor appoint the replacement. October 31st, 5.14 p.m., call between Rod Blagojevich and Deputy Governor Robert Greenlee. Hey, hey. What's going on? <sighs> Nothing much right now. If Obama won, Rod could appoint his replacement. Before the election, Rod was basically looking at four different options to fill the Senate seat. Option one, then-Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr., son of Reverend Jackson. I got some lady calling my house for Jesse Jr. here a little while ago. I'm telling you, that guy's shameless. Unbelievable, isn't it? Jackson wanted the seat badly, and his supporters promised Blagojevich some substantial fundraising. Then I, we were approached to pay to play. That, you know, he'd raise me 500 grand, an emissary came, and the other guy would raise a million if I made him a senator. At this point, Blagojevich sounds appalled by the offer. Ugh. Option two, Valerie Jarrett, a close friend and advisor of Obama. Hey, hey how are you? Okay, how you doing? November 3rd, 8.35 a.m., call between Rod Blagojevich and his chief of staff, John Harris. So you talking about Valerie Jarrett? Yeah. Rod heard that Jarrett was the option that Obama wanted. Maybe Rod could get a deal, like a new position in D.C. We should get something for that, couldn't I? Yes. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'm sure there'll, there'll need to be more discussions. So, <laughs> How about health and human services? Can I get that? Since Rod had done a lot of work on health care in Illinois, he thought he could maybe become Obama's Secretary of Health and Human Services. But in order to increase his bargaining position, Rod wanted to add another name into the mix. Option three. Yeah, in terms of a credible bargaining power. So For years, Rod and the Speaker of the Illinois House, Michael Madigan, were in an epic feud, resulting in gridlock. By appointing Madigan's daughter, Lisa, the then-Illinois Attorney General, Rod could potentially make a grand political deal and get some things done for the people of Illinois. In other words, that, you know, Madigan, you know, a scenario where we get health care, we get... November 4th, 8.57 a.m., the day of the presidential election. Hey. Hello. How's it going? Option four, the ace in the hole. He could appoint himself to the Senate seat. 
And if I can't get the right deal, John, then I'll take it myself. That's kind of where I'm at. What do you think of that? Right. And I think just publicly we got to make sure we're always talking about best interest of the state, best interest of the state. Right. Best interest of the state and somebody who can do the most good for the state, for the people of Illinois. Most good for the people of Illinois. It was on the same night of that wiretap that the presidential election was called for Obama. Blagojevich watched an Illinois politician claim victory in downtown Chicago in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Hello, Chicago! Obama's victory. What are your memories of that? I kind of wish that he he hadn't won, just because I knew that 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 big whole what to do about the Senate seat was going to be a big problem. Tonight is your answer. Obama's leaving Illinois for the White House. But his Senate seat is now under Rod's control. Maybe that could be Rod's ticket out of Illinois, too. The next day, November 5th, 8.58 a.m., call between Blagojevich and Chief of Staff John Harris. You know, if I were him, um, you know, a top cabinet post, I, don't, I wouldn't consider it, I wouldn't do it if I were him. I agree with you. To be honest with you. Because of Rusko. Maybe Obama wouldn't give Rod a position in his cabinet, but how about ambassadorships? How about India? India's vital. Yeah, India's vital. I'd say India... Is that realistic or would you reject that? No, that's realistic. Is it? I think so. No shit. Germany, England, France, Canada. A couple of hours later... Blagojevich gave a press conference. I believe that we should find the best qualified person, whoever he or she may be, wherever he or she may come from. And so uh, the process begins today. The thinking begins today. Later that day, call between Blagojevich and advisor Doug Schofield. You and Ambassador, I take that. You Russian motherfuckers. Can you see me? <laughs> All right, anyway, um... But those are not reachable. But, you know, I told my nephew, Alex, he just turned 26 today. I said, Alex, you know, I called him for his birthday, and I said, it's just too bad you're not four years older, because I could have given you a U.S. Senate seat for your birthday. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I've got this thing, and it's fucking golden. Right. And I, I'm just not giving it up for fucking nothing. I'm not going to do it. And, and I can always parachute, use it, and fucking parachute me there. November 10th, 9.07 a.m. You are entering the meeting. So, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of stuff going. Um, anyway, so here, we might as well just get started. Patty's on the phone. Rod and Patty have a conference call with three national political consultants to get some advice on the Senate seat. During this call, one of the consultants gives Rod a heavy dose of reality. He shoots down the idea of the president-elect giving Rod any kind of government position in exchange for appointing Obama's friend, Valerie Jarrett. So the Resco thing is this cloud that's going to prevent this. I mean, he's not going to trade Valerie for his reputation. Presidents don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what can I get from him? For Patty and me, nothing. Later in that call. It's no good. It's no good. I got to get moving. The whole world's passing me by, and I'm stuck in this fucking job as governor now. Everybody's passing me by, and I'm stuck. Who's passing you by? Everybody. I mean, Brock just became 
president. A lot of people moving from Illinois, you know, thinking they're going to go to D.C. and get into the administration. And being governor was no fun anymore. It was all about trying to get things done for people. So if he couldn't do any of that, certainly, you know, you'd much rather be doing something else. So here, here, here's the immediate challenge. How do we take some of the financial pressure off of our family here? Okay? And then I have a personal issue, which is I feel like I'm fucking my children. That's what I feel like. The whole world's passing me by. I'm stuck in this fucking gridlock for two more fucking years. Okay? And nasty fucking shitty fucking press. And everything, you know, and every asshole out there, you know, few friends trying to do the right thing, you know, getting my ass kicked to try to get stuff done, finding ways around them, creating more issues as opposed to just sitting back. And then I'm going to have to, like, look the other way on a tax increase now. And in the meantime, <laughs> are you the kidding meantime, me? Amy's Eight going, fucking Amy's wasted going, years. And, and Amy's what? going to college in six years. Amy's going to college in six years, and we can't afford it. I can't afford college for my daughter. What was the family's financial situation at that point? Well, you know, we have a big house and a big mortgage. I had two kids in private school, very much like a lot of other families in the city at the time. I mean, you guys are telling me I just got to suck it up for two years and do nothing. Give this motherfucker his senator. Fuck him. For nothing? Fuck him. I do think toward the end he was a little isolated. He's not the man I, I knew initially. By this point, Rod still doesn't know that his friend, John Wyma, had been cooperating with the FBI. Wyma didn't know about the wiretaps at the time, but he heard the tapes later at trial. He seems to me increasingly desperate. He was listening to fewer and fewer people. He was under more pressure. That's a bad recipe for making good decisions. And then some bad news. The option with the most leverage over Obama was slipping away. Rod began hearing that Valerie Jarrett was going to accept a position in the White House as an advisor. I don't want to spite them, but I almost want to send me there to fucking spite them. November 12, 1050 a.m., call between Rod and Patty Blagojevich. Rod is discussing the ace in the hole, sending himself to the Senate. I want you to think about the lifestyle decision if we take a Senate thing. Right. For us. Big, no, it's a big change. Huh? It's a big change, and not necessarily for the better. Well, don't dismiss it. No, no, I'm not dismissing it. I mean, I, I'm not... a necessary change. We're stuck in look, mud here. Look, I mean, look, Arnold, look, 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 nobody wants to be governor these days. It's bad being governor. Stop arguing with me. Rod explains to Patty that going to the Senate would open up financial opportunities for both of them. What's best for us? Right. First and foremost, on the legal front... The, you know, the personal front and the political front, in that order. Right. Legal front, personal front, political front, in that order. Right. Right? Right. Did the appointment ever symbolize a way to sort of help stabilize the family's financial situation? No. Well, I mean, like what? That's the killer. To sell the Senate seat for, for what? For, like, money to us personally? There was never any conversation like, I'm going to give it to you and you're going to, you know, put money in a bank account for me somewhere or you're going to do something for me like that. I mean, there was never any of that. None of us ever saw it as like, we're going to make money as a family based on this appointment. That's like, that's horrendous. 
There were never any offers of money going directly into a private Blagojevich bank account. It was all indirect. I give this candidate the seat. Obama gives me a job. I give this candidate the seat. Obama's donors help me set up a nonprofit organization that promotes health care. And by the way, I head that organization and I make a decent salary. This sort of thing isn't unprecedented, but Rod is just so explicit about it, and the FBI is hearing everything. Right, but you understand, it's very important for me to make a lot of money. I need the independence. I, I, I need the freedom. I, you know, I, I, among the things that I've, we've dealt with that I've learned, it's like never again, man, am I ever going to fucking screw my kids and my family and put them in a position like this. i got to fix this. For the next week or so, Rod's grasping at straws. He's on the phone throwing all sorts of names out there. November 21st, 10.35 a.m., Rod thinks out loud about appointing Oprah Winfrey. She, she, she's a kingmaker. She made Obama. It's, who the fuck's going to complain about it? It's going to be huge. Later in the call, Rod starts working out on some exercise equipment. mess because so much negativity in me, it's not healthy. And, and the other hand, Rod knows it'll look good publicly to replace Obama with an African-American. He says he needs, quote, like a black Albert Einstein or something. Is there a Mother Teresa type out there? Anybody in law enforcement? He gets back to his earlier idea. I'll tell you another thing I like about Oprah. Can I give you what I like about it? Mm-hmm. There's nothing affirmative action about her. She's a mega success in her own right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Whereas some of these other candidates I put there are just clearly affirmative action. Eventually, the options boil down to two possible candidates, Jesse Jackson Jr. and Lisa Madigan. Jackson's supporters had offered to get Blagojevich some big campaign money. Madigan's powerful father could help the governor win some much-needed political victories. Campaign money or a possible end to gridlock? Hey, hey, it's Greenlee. I, I think I have Fred on. Fred, you there? Yeah, hey, Governor. Hey, Bob. Hey, uh, December 4th, 2.09 p.m. Blagojevich has a call with a national pollster and his deputy governor, Robert Greenlee. Rod has just seen some new poll numbers on the Senate seat candidates, and one option had some great numbers. Jesse Jr., how about that? Great minds yeah. think alike. But it's, it's a bunch of... But... Okay. Anyway, what was your... Um, and yeah, she gets no support among African-Americans, Lisa Madigan. Zero yeah. support. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's white. Why appoint Jackson? What's in it for Rod? There's tangible, concrete, tangible stuff from supporters. Like what? Well, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Political, tangible political support, Fred. Okay, all right. You know, specific amounts and everything. And while, you know, I don't know that all of that is achievable, there is some of it up front. Rod's advisors don't like the idea. They're suspicious of Jackson. Rod tries to calm them down. There's still two options on the table. Look, you've got two equally repugnant tips on a personal level. However, I must say, having some experience with both of them, if they were both drowning and I could save one, I really think I'd save Jesse. So, so that means, from a personal standpoint, he's less objectionable to me than she is. Rod had previously said he'd never appoint Jesse Jackson Jr., 
On the tapes, he called him over and over again a, quote, bad guy. But it now sounds like he's talking himself into it. Jesse Jr. wants it badly and desperately, and he's the only one who's willing to, like, offer stuff. He would never name Jesse Jr., I don't think. Later in court, the possible Jesse Jackson Jr. appointment played a very important role for the prosecution. Jackson's supporters were offering Blagojevich $1.5 million in fundraising through Rod's brother, Robert, who was then head of the campaign fund. The government based their charges upon a conversation with Rod's brother and himself, between the two of them, about how Rod's brother should tell those guys, you know, your guy is a realistic chance, but they they have to start showing some support. December 4th, 2.43 p.m., call between Rod Blagojevich and his brother, Robert. If, if in fact, there's, there's, this, is, you know, this is possible, then some of this stuff's got to start happening now. Yep, right, right now. And we got to okay. see it. Okay. You understand? Now, you got to be careful how you express that and assume everybody's listening, the whole world's listening. Right. You hear me? Right, right. But if there's tangible political support, like you've said, start showing us now. Yeah, okay. If you want to be considered, you need to be supportive. You can interpret that any way you want to interpret it. And my personal interpretation of it was referring back to Jesse Jackson Jr. saying that he was going to support Rod in his first campaign for governor and at the last minute not endorsing him. Okay. Very good. I'll okay. Make call. I'll make that call this afternoon. I would do it in person. I would not do it on the phone. Ah, okay. Very good. That conversation was the attempted bribe that Rod's sitting in jail for 14 years for. For Patty, her husband's biggest mistake was that when they first heard about all this promised fundraising from Jackson, Rod should have called the FBI. I mean, he just should have. But, you know, he had been friends with Jackson, like when they were in Congress together. You know, he just didn't feel like that was right to call the cops on somebody. And I think maybe a lot of this would have gone differently had he, you know, just said, look, these guys are trying to trying to bribe me. But the FBI is listening now. And what the agents are hearing is something entirely different from what Patty's saying. They think that Rod is getting ready to appoint Jesse Jackson Jr. to the U.S. Senate for money. Now, the FBI would have been happy to keep recording Rod and keep gathering evidence and building their case. But then they were outed. The Chicago Tribune was planning on running a story that said two things. John Wyma was cooperating in the investigation, and the feds were secretly recording the governor. On the night of December 4th, the newspaper called Blagojevich's press person to ask for comment. Then the press person called Blagojevich to tell him about the article. In the Tribune tomorrow. Correct. According to me. Correct. December 5th, Chicago Tribune, front page headline, Feds taped Blagojevich. Well, I was an honest guy, I believe. Don't tell me I'm wrong about him. It put a, a, a damper on my relationship with, with Rod. He reads this in the paper. From that day on, it, it, it kind of forever changed. Initially, we were like in disbelief, like this is just, you know, we felt bad for John. How are they slandering him like this, reporting this? But it didn't even, even at that point, it didn't even cross our minds that all our phones were tapped. I mean, that's ridiculous. Why would they be listening to us? December 5th, 1129 a.m., 
call between Blagojevich and his chief of staff, John Harris. So what if you're on a recording? You could be ordering a cheese and mushroom pizza. Yeah, you're right. But that's not true, though. Right. And they're creating this image like I'm a big crook. Well, whatever. You feel good, don't you? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. All right, you got a good attitude. All right, man. Okay, sir. Okay. All right, buddy. Bye. Do you think the cloud that hangs over you is going to taint your pick? I don't believe there's any cloud that hangs over me. Governor. Well, getting back to that, can we... I think there's nothing but sunshine hanging over me. December 9th, 2008, about 6 a.m. Agents Pat Murphy and Daniel Kane are at the front door of the Blagojevich home. I was ringing the doorbell, ringing the doorbell, and it was a while before uh, the door was answered, and it was uh, Mrs. Blagojevich, I think, in her robe at the time. And Does she invite you in, or do you just sort of push her aside and go in? I'm pretty sure we just went in. We could see the governor... Uh, on the stairs, I think at that point, on the telephone, and he saw us, and so Pat and I followed him back up into the bedroom, still on the phone. I think Pat uh, may have hung up the phone. Yeah, I took the phone away from him. Yeah, and his little daughter, I think, is sleeping in the bed, and we were talking in such low-key voices uh, as to not to awake her. Dan put the handcuffs on as we were getting ready to walk him out the door. They just came and did what they had to do. What did they say? I'm very curious. They talked about a desire to display a level of professionalism in making the arrest. Did you ask them, why didn't they just call Rod's lawyer and say, can you bring your client down to the office? Why do you think they didn't do that? (laughs) You tell me. They, like, there are drug dealers that they do that for. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? What did they think? He was going to... Do what? That's what somebody like this deserves. FBI special agent in charge, Robert Grant. That tells the average voter, look, you can be a powerful person and they're going to drag you in uh, regardless of the color of your skin, your gender, your wealth, your celebrity status. You're going to be treated the same. And then we got in the, uh, the FBI car. Normally in a situation like this, we don't like to have a whole lot of conversation. Uh, but the governor made a comment about, you know, asked us, hey, have you ever arrested a governor before? And, and it took me back a little bit. Is there a point at which you can sense that the gravity of all this is starting to sink in? My guess is when he got into the FBI office and started getting processed, the gravity probably starts to, to ring. Rod then gets booked. His fingerprints are taken. And then he gets his mug shot. Do you remember that picture? No, I, I remember... I remember Patty, who, who just looked like a car ran over. Consultant Pete Gian Greco, who had helped Rod in both of his campaigns for governor, saw Patty on the news at home. That was where my heart went. Like, Rod at some level knew what he was getting into. I think Patty was, and she was loyal and stood by him and sometimes fed into his worst instincts, but she was the one who took the car, you know, you know. He's the one who's doing the time, but she is too. And just the look on her face, is, that's the image I remember was Pat, the look on Patty's face. And then I had to go pick up my daughters at school because the principal called me and said that Amy's class was doing internet research and all of a sudden it was starting to pop up on the screen. And before Amy found out that way, she thought I should pick them up. So I had to go pick them up from school. 
the troopers in the front seat and I'm in the back with them. And I just said, you know, your dad has been arrested. And I said, it's been, it's a big mistake, but it's just going to take a while for it to get figured out. And of course they started crying and I had to tell them because we were going to be coming home to a siege, hordes of people. I know it was dark when he come, by the time he got home because I can remember, I have a very vivid memory of the lights from the mini cams and all those lights pointing at our house. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously all in shock. I mean, look what just happened. The arrest became national news. Public officials asked for comment, talked about how they couldn't believe it happened, that it was such an embarrassment for the state of Illinois and that Rod needed to resign the governorship immediately. But if they thought that Rod Blagojevich would go quietly, they were very, very wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, former Governor Rod Blagojevich. Here we go. I will fight. I will fight. I will fight. We are back with Governor Rod Blagojevich. Governor Blagojevich, thank you for being here. It's nice of you to take the time. Thank you. So, Governor, you have a hell of a lot of guts. I have to tell you that. I have done nothing wrong. Next time on Public Official A. The Media Blitz. Public Official A is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Dave McKinney. The producer is Colin McNulty. The executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Our interns are Sophie Lalonde and Bia Medias. Special thanks to Al Keefe, Brendan Benazak, and Tony Arnold. The show is mixed by Adam Yaffe. If you like what you heard and you haven't subscribed yet, do it. And a rating or a review really helps. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.